Welcome to the Jackie Service Show. I'm Jackie Service, where we are talking all things people strategy, entrepreneurship, and how hiring the right humans will unlock the next phase of growth in your business. As a former corporate VP of HR, my life completely shifted when I learned I had a brain tumor. From this moment forward, I knew that there was more. I dove headfirst into healing, mindset work, and spirituality. And from this space, my entrepreneur journey was born. Now I am a people strategist and founder of Serve Recruitment Agency, a boutique recruitment firm that helps scaling companies hire aligned leaders for growth. In this podcast, I'm going to share about my business journey, entrepreneurship, leadership, and how hiring the right humans unlocks massive potential. Welcome to the show. Are you confused about hiring? You're not alone. Majority of leaders struggle to figure out who they need, in what roles, and when, and how these people will have the greatest impact on the growth of their business. This is why we created People Strategy Sessions to do a deep dive into your business and help you build a clear roadmap on the talent you need to drive sustainable growth. We dive into your greater why, where you are today in your business, where you want to go in your business from a growth standpoint, and ultimately, who do you need to enable that growth overall? For more information, please send an email to Jackie at JackieService.com or feel free to reach out at JackieService across all platforms. Welcome back to another episode of the Jackie Service Show. Honestly, this one's a privilege. I am so honored to be able to spend this time with a man who I had a chance to be in a room with last April, April 2023, and completely just blew me wide open and was one of my most personal transformational moments that I have lived through. So Dan Takini, welcome to the show. Jackie, what a pleasure to be here. I was looking forward to this. I'm glad you're feeling better. We missed the last one. You were under the weather, so... I've been looking forward to this for a while. Yeah, me too. I am I'm so happy I'm feeling better too. You know what? Your energy is so core when you're a leader or running your own business or yeah. hosting podcast and I'm such a big proponent or believer in, you know, we can create energy and also I want to be showing up in the right energy. So if, you know, if I'm canceling it's because I'm really down and oh, out. Oh, I know. But, I, uh... I follow you. I follow you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um so before we before we dive into some of the questions, I always love starting with some rapid fire questions just so people listening can get to know you a little bit better. Sure. I love this. Did you just get a coffee handed to you? My wife just snuck in. She's the sweetest. I I you know, I am I am not worthy. I am not worthy, <laughs> but I am certainly grateful. <laughs> she is just the best and I love. I mean, you're West Coast, so we're doing this. It's you know eight twenty a.m. You need a cup of coffee as you're as you're rocking and rolling. And Eileen no, I'm, is. I'm gonna be, I'm be talking too fast. Eileen <laughs> so. is literally the sweetest human and a firecracker. She'll yeah. hold you accountable. That's for oh, sure. <laughs> I have burns all over my body. So <laughs> I love it. I love it. So we'll go into some rapid fire, three quick questions, just so people can get to know you a little bit better, and then we'll dive into some of your story. Sure. Beautiful. Okay, where's home? Where are you from? Okay, so I grew up in a little town called Petaluma, California. And it was a tiny town. It was like, when I think when I my family first moved, there was like 8,000 people. It's like 
75,000 today. And uh, I grew up there and, you know, went to school there. And then I went to college um, I, in Santa Clara, Santa Clara University, played some football mm. and um, got, you know, just got myself tangled up in some really bad stuff. I was, have got into some trouble and never got arrested, but should have been and glad I didn't. So, mm. well, you say it right. We're all criminals. So yeah. in some yeah. way, shape or form, we'll We're probably talk about that. Some of go. us are more arrestable than others. That's, That's right. right. That's right. I love it. I love it. A favorite book, a book that you have recommended to lots of leaders, lots of people in your life, something you love to get in the hands of other people. My favorite book, and I think it's the best book for people to read in my experiences with regard to being human. And it's um, called The Brothers Karamazov by Fyodor Dostoevsky. I probably... I read it first time out of high school and it changed my life. Um, when I had just gotten out of high school, I was deep into drugs and it helped me come out, helped me recover from that whole uh, craziness that I got into through college and like that. And I've read it probably seven, eight times in my life. I usually pick it up and do something right around Christmas mm. and um, at least the Grand Inquisitor. Which okay, is I it. need to I need to add it to the um, one I have not read it. I will tell you most books that are recommended. I know I don't know this book, so this is one I gotta throw in the uh, in the Amazon bookshelf here and uh, bring it into my house. Yeah, well, Fyodor Dostoevsky is one of the best storytellers of all time. Now, warning: get the abridged version because it you'll it you know he he wrote it in Russia right during the revolution, right before the revolution. And he wrote it as an in, he he wrote installments and it was in the newspaper. And people were following it, and then he put it together later in a book. And it's a big, thick book. And the thing about Russian authors, they're using, of course, Russian culture, and yeah. they everybody's got three or four names depending on the mood in which you're speaking to them in. So mm -hmm. I, when I was in high school, I had to make a you know a, a key to understand that these three names or four names is that character, and that the abridged version collapses that, but that could that could get, and, I, and you can get the audio version, which is great, but the story is phenomenal. So, Beautiful. and Thank intense, so. Yeah, okay, thank you for that. I'm looking forward to uh, opening that one up. And then I'm sure you have many, but is there a mentor or a leader that's been in your life that has really impacted or influenced who you are today? Yeah, there, there are two that I think of. One is my high school coach, a guy named Bill Silver. In fact, they... Mm -hmm. Petaluma just won the state championship, which is like unheard of, St. Vincent's High School. And Bill was turned, when I went to St. Vincent's, a private school and, and a Catholic school, and they had like 200 kids. And, you know, we were all in nine and he took us and turned us around. We, you know, we won the, the league championship or tied for it in my senior year. And then, um, and then, uh, he he's 70 something years old and they just won the state championship. He was on the, I think the coaching staff, he's an interesting guy, but he, mm -hmm. he really, I was really a good athlete, but I had a bad attitude. He sat me on the bench only kicked me off the bench. He actually kicked me off the team and I had to fight my way back on, but it, it changed my whole idea. I learned what teamwork was. I learned how valuable a team is. And I learned that you don't get anything done alone. So he's number one. Uh, number two is a guy named John Hanley, who taught me how to train. And he, he had a company called LifeSpring. And he, in many ways, he completed fathering. I mean, not like my dad's a great father, but this guy 
held my feet to the fire, man. I remember, mm-hmm. I'll never forget, he said, I sat down, there were three of us interviewing. We all got hired and we didn't, you know, and he looked at these the two guys, a gal and a guy that were there and said, you two are going to do great. You, I don't think is going to make it. And I was the one who made it. <laughs> but I think he knew what he was doing. Because <laughs> mm. I'd get on, prove it. Okay, I'll show you. And then I was all over it. And and uh, but he he still is a dear friend and and, and mentor. And then there's a the third one, a guy named J.R. Young, who helped me birth uh what I'm doing now. And I did it in a faith-based uh environment, and we got we came under a lot of attack, and he was a pastor of a church and he ordained me and he stood for me and he put his whole career at stake because he got a lot of heat for it. And he's still a dear friend. So those are the three men that have really been instrumental in the development of my characters. I love that. I love that. Sorry, you asked for one, you got three. I'm into it. You know what? And um, I'm having, I'm listening to all of them and pinpointing the people in my life who have been similar to that. And, and, and one of them, uh, funny enough is, is my dad who, who was also a long-term career high school football coach. So (laughs) I grew up in a family with kind of football mentality. My brother was an all Canadian football player and football is a way of life in our household. So that is a lot of who I am. Yeah, we get we were constantly hearing about Vince Lombardi time. So fifteen yes. minutes early, you know, the bus leaves early. So that's right, that's right, absolutely, absolutely. We'll talk a little bit about your story and what you're up to now. I'd love to hear that through your lens. Yeah, I've I've always been in, I've been in the human, you know, basically transformation business for forty years. Uh, I came, my you know my mother was a manic depressive schizophrenic, and I became the go-between between her and the doctors for a long time, really, I guess, probably because I was the oldest, but also I had a very deep connection with my mother and it was a very traumatic situation. But I I remember at 12 years old, the first book I ever read cover to cover was a book called um, Gestalt Therapy Verbatim by Fritz Perls. And I was you know trying to, it was given to me by a friend to help me kind of get clear and and talk about things and learn to talk about things without trying to to couch them in nice language, but really how do you get something out? And and it was very powerful. And then the second book was The Myth of Mental Illness, which introduced me into really the fundamentals of what I do now, which is his point was, and this guy, it was a paper when I read it because he was just working on it. He published it as a book as Dr. Charles Schraz, and he talked about schizophrenia as a uh, a way that people learn to communicate their trauma through multiple, you know, like and, and that, that if we listened to people who were supposedly crazy from a perspective of this is they're speaking a language only they understand. And my mother would symbolize a lot, right? She'd move things around and that meant something. And it freaked the kids out, freaked my dad out at times. I, I just always felt like she was trying to say something. And so when I read this, I was like, because I would sit at the table and just move things around, see what she did with them to try to understand what she was trying to say. And and he reading that book really made a huge difference. He's dead now, but I would recommend that book. It was a paper that I read first. And then later in the 60s, he wrote, I think 60s, early 70s. He turned it into a book, and it's phenomenal, really good. So, mm, I love and that. And that that set me on a path. And uh, when I was in high school, we did this Jesuit retreat, which introduced me to you know these experiential exercises. And I, I was starting to go 
to and from it, you know, a couple of times to Esalon or I kind of debrief after my mother, I'd meet with her and then they, I'd go out there and it was kind of like a trauma debrief or talk about it. And then as I got older, my father, uh, I was working in the business, in the movie business, which my family's in. And um, my father had done a training called Lifespring and, he, and we hadn't talked very much. We were at odds at the time. And he came over and asked for forgiveness, which shocked me. And I, I couldn't believe it because he'd never been to my house. And we started to connect then. Uh, and he he told me, you ought to do this. You're probably going to do this for a living. This is, you know, you've, you've got the music. I've always felt you're more of a priest than a businessman. And, uh, and sure enough, I went, did their trainings and went to work there, learned a lot about and studied a lot of what's called phenomenological philosophy. Phenomenology is important. It's a school of philosophy, and uh, it made a huge difference in my life. And then I, I did a huge start of studying neuroscience and its impact. And I was, I've always been interested in what does it take to get the best out of me, and how do I, how can I contribute to others and get the best out of them? And I didn't want to lecture; I wanted to actually do it. I wanted, you know, mm -hmm. I kept seeing this the education system as a problem because. You can talk about something. I can talk about anything, but that doesn't mean I know how to presence it. I, and I was always, because like with my mother, I could, the doctors couldn't connect with her, but it was presence I noticed that really connected with her. And I noticed that in a training room. I noticed that in on a, on a team. It's the presence that of a of a leader that either coalesces the team and aligns them, and and or it you can give them all the right things to say, but if their presence is selfish, self-centered, or uh, dismissive, or you know, so on and so forth. Well, they're going to have problems because people are going to, because a, if they don't listen and they're not connected, people are going to undermine them and they're going to feel victimized by what they've got. And they don't. And one of the things we do is we go in and we, first thing we work on is managing yourself. Mm -hmm. And if the way you relate to others, the way you talk to yourself about others is disrespectful, they will get it, you know? And, and, and that usually comes back to how you think about yourself. Maybe you hold yourself as a tool. There's a million things we could do with that. Mm -hmm. But we've found that if people learn to manage themselves, then they lead others effectively and they produce breakthrough results. So. That's right. I love that. And so today, you know, I was a part of the Revenant process, which we could talk about. It's almost, I, I was... I talk to friends about the Revenant process a lot because it was so profound in my life. And yeah. it's hard. I find it hard to articulate in language the experience I lived through. I can yeah. find certain words. I can say the word transformation and I can say the word, you know, leadership. And I can say, you know, it really cracked me open. And, you know, I came out being clearer on where I want to go in my life. And yet, you know, it's hard to articulate the experience of being in a room with you for four days immersed. I'm curious through your own language, how do you explain to people what you're up to and what you do today? Well, um, I use a metaphor. I call it a gin for the soul or the mind, if you will. People don't have a soul. They are a soul. They have a body. That body is being run by their soul, if you would. So, and um, I talk about, well, where can you go and exercise how you show up for other people? Where can you do that? You know, you can go talk about what that is 
And and I've trained a lot of people, and there's some great trainers out there. But the greatest trainers of all, the ones who are good, they're not teachers. They're they're a presence that shows up that brings forth what's wanted and needed. And what most people tend to do is they want to work around the things they think are bad, wrong, or broken. And we take a very different approach. We say, look, that's a that's a misnomer. Whatever you think is wrong, bad, or broken, it's just something that you probably presenced in an inappropriate, it's out of context with who you're with. Like, you know, but people say, well, I'm self-centered. Well, yeah, well, welcome to the club. You know, you <laughs> Amen. Know, right? So now self-centered is not necessarily a bad thing. It's in, in the right context. It's the appropriate thing. So if I'm aware of the fact that I'm self-centered, rather than trying to get rid of it, I could actually use the time, you know, like when it comes up and explore what it's telling me about what's going on for me in the situation. When I get self-centered, I'm probably feeling pretty vulnerable, uh, like I'm not going to be taken care of, like this is going to hurt me or so, you know, there's a million different ways to articulate that, but that's going to generate a survival presence that's going to put other people on alert, Mm -hmm. that they better be careful because who's here is only out for themselves. You know, that's just an example. So, you know, we call it hugging the cactus, getting close mm-hmm. to, and Adrian talks about it all the time, getting close to and familiar with and integrate those aspects of you, of your personality, of how you choose to, you know, presence yourself, integrating them into you in a way that you have them more than they have you. And you put them to work. You decide when they get to be in control and when they're not. And that's very, that's kind of how I frame it. It's like, where do you go to exercise that? Pull those levers and see what they're, what they, what do they mean to you? And what are they, what are they telling you about what's up? Mm, amen. And there's so much. So it's interesting. I was, I was reflecting back and and talking to my husband who, who now is working with Adrian one-on-one, which is fun because I'm watching, witnessing him from a, from a different experience. Go through your husband. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I was, I was laughing because I said, you know, when we talk about transformational leadership and personal growth and spirituality, you know, I, I could give you a list. I'm sure you could too of, of hundreds of different experiences I've put myself into and have had some great experiences and results great and don't get me wrong. They're beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, looking back and being honest with myself, I'm like, that's funny. I showed up with a bit of a chip on my shoulder and a little bit of ego thinking like, Oh, I've done this before. I know what I'm, I'm about to get into. I have a, I'm clear on what this is going to be wrong. <laughs> I had a beautiful transformation opening in that in that experience and and a part of that is to your point exercising the soul and the brain and understanding the patterns and beliefs and thought processes that i have that are one keeping me stuck and two that are just absolute bs absolute bullshit some of them and that was uh, a fun moment there was a moment and you've been through many of these where you called bullshit on me and I had so much, I have so much love and respect for you for that because there's so many coaches in this industry right now that I see that are just kind of walking with you and almost allowing some of the behavior to continue. And one of the things that I immediately loved about yourself and Adrian and Chad is you'll call out things that people don't see. 
the unspoken words, unspoken behaviors, the you'll call bullshit on people more than I've ever seen in a room in my life. And I think that is, I just have so much respect for that. Yeah, it's in, in it, you know, you think about it, you, what you said there was very interesting because you, it's powerful. You said, I thought I've already been through this and you have, but not the way we did it. And I know that, by the way, when I designed the training, I knew that that was gonna, there are, there are biological filters. People don't realize we have, that's one of them is, I've seen this before. I've done this before. Completely legit, right? And helpful in the right situations, right? Right. But so the I realized that one of the things we have to do in our work is to surprise people, not not manipulate. We don't mm-hmm. lie, we don't cheat, we just just that they're going to surprise themselves because they're going to I know they're going to come in the room and they're going to go this is like that and this because there's a the language we're using is out in the culture. When I first started doing this back in 1978, 1979, this was unheard of. In fact, we had, um, I'll never forget, we had the uh, Colonel Siri came through our training and he developed the, he was in charge of, uh, uh, I think, marketing for the U.S. Army. And remember that? You can be all that you can be, you know, like be all you could be. Yes, that came did. out of, Mm. A graduate of the trainings at LifeSpring who had this profound experience. But the only way you can be, you know, be all you could be is to first get in touch with who you tend to be, right? And right. we biologically aren't so unique. You know, that very little biological filter, that's the first thing people do when they feel uncomfortable. What can I match up with what I knew before so I can at least feel like I'm safe here? And, mm. and we wanted to bust that up because... I wanted to right in the beginning, because if people get that they've never been here, because I've never been here on this show with you, and I've been on a lot of podcasts, That's right? Funny. But if I come in here thinking, oh, this is a podcast I've always been on, it's not going to be risky. It's not going to be exciting. I'm going to I'm going to start programming myself to show up the way I did before, so I don't have to get vulnerable, right? So. Mm. You know, I'm, and I'm I'm aware of that when it's going on. It's particularly if I'm, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. In fact, it's a good way to get through, you know, so society. C.S. Lewis says 90% of a healthy social life is on the surface. But can you drop down when you need to? Can you bring what's wanted and needed in your presence? Like when somebody comes into your office and they're on your executive team, and they just had a personal tragedy right in the middle of one of your corporate, you know, one of the team's initiatives, and they need you, and they need they need support, you know, because that's a, oh, God, you know, because immediately what comes for me is, oh, we're not going to, I need, this is my CMO or my COO, and we're in the middle of this, oh, oh, and now I get more concerned. It's very easy to get more concerned with this is going to turn out rather than really connect and trust that if I really connect with this human being and I really get see how I can support them, then I'm going to discover what it's going to take to cover them. I don't think people have that kind of faith. And I, it's like, I, I think I, I, at least they don't generally, I've met some great CEOs that do. So, but it takes some, even if they do see it, there's, it's, it's a situational thing. Can you presence yourself when it comes up over and over again? And that's what builds that bond where you have a team, like a community that stands for each other. And that not only covers each other, but it covers the organization. 
That's right. And, and, and I'm talking at a high level here, but trust me, we, you know, and you've seen it, we can chunk that down into really clear thinking frameworks that'll allow us to presence ourselves in that way. So it's true. I love that. And, you know, I've been talking a lot about the revenant process, which is an individual experience I went through with, I think it was 40 other souls in the room and uh, an incredible container. One of the things I, I have seen you, Adrian and Chad do a lot is actually step into leadership teams and work with, well, I know you're working with leaders all over the world, um, but really focus on the development of team and the structure around executive teams and how we how we think yeah. and how we stand for something. Uh, I know you've worked with some of the some of the biggest names out there when it comes to teams. You know, we're talking about Disney and that of the like. And I'm so curious for you. Before Disney went crazy, yes. Yes. Okay, before Disney went crazy. And many others. I know some yeah. are, we're, we, we have the honor of working together with. But I'm actually, I'm curious in today's landscape, what are some of the I'm going to call them leadership struggles, but honestly, I think they're human struggles. What are some of the leadership struggles that continue to come to the forefront of many leadership teams right now? What are some of the trends that you're seeing right now that are out there? Well, it, you know, it, it's just they're human trends, really. And the ones that we see are like the imposter syndrome is number one, mm. particularly in this culture today, because everybody's so busy wanting to look uh mm -hmm virtuous, wanting to look successful, wanting to look powerful. And I don't think that's just stuck on this or this generation, but it's, it seems to be quite prevalent. And so the, the sad thing is people try to portray something that's not really going on for them, and they create relationships based on that imposter, and then they feel completely isolated and alone or not supported or that if they really came out and said what they thought that they wouldn't be accepted and and the, the sad thing is when i'm projecting something i think you need me to be it's it's a diluted presence because i'm not bringing me to the party i'm withholding the parts of me i think don't fit with that and so it shows it's like a it's a mirage and people mm -hmm. wonder wow how come we can't get it done i thought we were going to do so well but you, you said all the right things. I, I mean, you ought to be able to deliver. What's the deal? And that's one of the first things we do. You know, if you listen, great consultants. Well, I love Tony Robbins. He's one of my favorites. I, I, I've followed him since I was a young man. And I just think he's phenomenal. And he does this well. And But he he's clear about two things, not just vision, right? And that's what most consultants will come in or, you know, leaders, leadership guys will come in or gals. And we're going to work vision. Yes, you got to do that. You got to have a poignant vision. But what's more important than vision is you got to know where you are. You got to know where you are in relationship to that vision. And if I have an, if I have a, in my own mind a, an an inflated view of myself, then I'm not going to be in an accurate place about where I'm at. And I'm going to find my actions to be impotent. They're not going to move the ball down the field the way I thought they would. And, and that's a big deal because, you know, anybody who touches the the idol, well, you'll, you know if you're doing this because somebody says, like Chad will come, Chad has said to me a couple of times, well, I don't think that's accurate, Dan. I don't think we should do that. And I'm, I'm, if I'm in a, in, a, in a place that's committed to what I'm said, I'm, I want to go, you know, tell me more about it. what do you see? Let's talk. Let's argue. Let's, let's, 
because argumentation, that's something that's lost. I'll get to that one in a second. Mm -hmm. But that's lost because of this. If I can't be wrong, if I'm if I'm more committed to how I have to look than to the mission, then when somebody out of their innocence and their commitment to the vision comes to me to correct me because it seems incongruent, I'm going to bark them back and I'm going to use my power differential to get them out of my face so I don't have to see the incongruity in my in myself. And that that's this when you see some when somebody reacts with contempt to somebody who's bringing a view to the table, it's probably because they themselves don't want to see it and don't think it's possible to correct it and are judging themselves for the fact that that's present. And so the way to get somebody away from you is to go after them, is to not own it and then chastise them for bringing it to the table. Now that's telling them, don't you dare say anything I disagree with or at least disagree with about this very, this pet peeve I have or pet pet project I have. And then that teaches people to stay underground. And that's when you start getting gossip and slander and so on. So one of the things we work on, I call it the lost art and science of argument. Like a good argument is a cooperative, it's a cooperative event. You and I are committed to the same thing. We have a concern that we both value you it's a it's a it's it's a a crisis because you think you it ought to be handled this way and i think it ought to be handled this way most most leadership teams don't know when there's a good argument or when it's a bad argument and there's a ton of that. distinctions here yeah. so they tend to argue about stuff that doesn't matter or they don't really care about like if you don't care about what I care about, then we shouldn't argue because we're not, we, we, we want to argue to come out with a better outcome. So argument is part of uh, being good at reasoning. You, 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 it's part of excellence in reasoning. If you can't argue, you're not going to get, you're not going to reason well because Jackie, you see things differently than me and you see things I need to see. And if I don't see them, then I'm not going to be as strong as if I could see them, particularly things that upset me because I'm probably upset because I don't like to look over there and you <laughs> keep having me look over there. So yeah, I'm, I'm, we're trying to hug the cactus and okay. it's really uncomfortable sometimes when you're hugging you the, cactus. Hug the cactus. I'm the boss. I, right. I, I'm the I, only one. Right. That's right. I bring the cactus to the party. Then you hug it. Right? Yeah, that's it. That's it. But okay. you don't have to hug it. Right. As the leader. Is that that's what we're right. saying? Oh, that's, oh, yeah. right. I, I, I sit on high. I make decisions on it. Right. That's yes. right. All the all powerful. That's the all powerful Oz. Don't mind the man behind the curtain. That's why I love Adrian so much. He's so good at pulling the curtain back. I mean, oh, he is I love a that. Master. Well, I, I, would, love I would agree with that. You know, we we work with a mutual leadership team. You were just with them actually in Puerto Rico. And one of the things that I heard feedback on um, from one of the leaders that was around the table was we learned to argue better together. Yes. And that was a sentiment of pride and excitement coming out of a few days together is we understand the the vision and what we're trying to create here. And we understand that we're all humans. We all have our own dynamics and beliefs and perspectives and patterns and just different philosophies and how we see the world. And we realize that we could respectfully disagree or respectfully argue. What is that? 
what does that look like for you when you find a team that actually understands that? Like, what are some of the, what are some of the positives or outcomes that can come out of it that are actually enable a leadership team to continue to grow together? Well, I'd have to say that Lead Simple is probably one of the best I've ever seen. I would agree. Jordan, Moela, Chris, the whole team. They're, these guys are courageous. And to see the synergy, it, you, I can't describe it. It gives me goosebumps because we just did a two-day. Every time we do something together, they come out. I mean, look, they were at 500 ARR five years ago. And this year, they're... Their goal is 10 million. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that. And that's a huge, and that's all I, I can honestly say. I've watched Jordan and Chris and that team work through some of them. You would think, oh, we're never, you know, like get stuck. We're ne- this is all we're doing. And then bang, you know, it's like holding in. It gets darkest before the dawn, right? And if you can hold in and, and really not run. And uh, we just brought on a new player there. And I'll never forget, we had we had a conversation this weekend and I pushed on a button and then she came at me and I was like, oh, great. this Because I had my opinion, she had hers. And she, the way she articulated her opinion was so powerful. It, 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 and she, you know, I, she goes, she told me she felt dismissed. And when I thought about what she said, I go, you know, you're right. I, I didn't realize I was acting that way with you. And what, you know, it's like, I, and she was so it was such a powerful exchange because I could see how she felt that way because of my certitude, and and I didn't listen. I cut her off a couple of times, and uh, I went mm, got it. And that what came out of that was so powerful. I mean, she came to the table. It was it was awesome. But I think that's that's what you've got to you know. We had a little say. We we came up with this little like say it. If you don't know what to say, just say it, and you can deal with and engage with whatever flack it brings and some of it's going to be for correction and the other part's going to be for you to focus on like if you correct me that's great if i go in but if i go in oh i'm a bad wrong or bad you know i I better not say anything that's only if that happens i'm just trying to put up a facade i'm just that's when i go to the imposter it's like okay got it i missed you there will you forgive Mm. me let me please go again whatever you know whatever the situation is if I can get with that, that doesn't take away from what I am looking at. That's true. It take it. It's teaching me, and it's teaching me one of two things. It's teaching me either the content of my argument, or what the, what I'm arguing for needs correction, or it's correcting me on how I'm arguing. And we don't tend to think in categories like that. When we get upset, we don't we don't go, oh, this person's upset. Did I miss them with the argument, the product? Or did I miss them with the process? Mm. Right. And so, and, and 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 the process involves presence. Like she addressed my presence, how she experienced it. Did I experience that way? No. But when I heard it from her and I went, well, yes, I did say that. And I did cut her off. And I can see exactly, you know, I'm impatient in my listening. She's right on. I mean, that's just went through my head, right? Mm. So... So the, all, those are things what I do. It's like when I, I'll say things, like I, I believe in just saying them if they're yeah. there. And yeah. then saying them with as much respect as you can. But I think I was covering <laughs> it because I was nervous. But, um, you know, like that, it just you just own it. And, but, but what I had to say, the argument was valid. There was something to talk about. How I said it was, it just didn't help her. In fact, she 
Like she told me, she goes, I was getting to the point where I was just going to leave. I go, I got it. Makes sense. Thank you for holding in. Mm. So let's, let's pull on that a little bit. Cause I, one of the things that I'm hearing in amongst this is when we can get comfortable as leadership teams arguing, one of the things it brings to the table is it gives us permission. It gives us permission or gives us an opportunity to give feedback to one another yeah. as to our experience of one another. And I see often in different leadership teams I've been in, in previous lives, I see that as where we shut down. We get uncomfortable. We think about ourselves only and how this is going to, yeah. the, the facade, how this is going to make me look, how, you know, I might undermine myself if I say what I mean in this moment. Right and so right I'm just going to yeah. not say something. What is the power of feedback in human nature, frankly, but honestly, oh. when we think about leadership dynamics and just saying it as it is. And you, you ask big questions, girl. Um, there's a lot of, I mean, so many thoughts. Well, like in this case, right. They say so when she gave the feedback about how I was being with her, my way of being with her, it was it, my criminal wanted to go to, Oh, so you're afraid of the argument. So now you're going to change the argument to how I'm communicating to you. And I've tried that with my wife. That doesn't work. <laughs> Gentlemen, don't do that. <laughs> so with your wives, especially. I'm, you know, I'm taking so, that clip and sending it to Brooks after this. <laughs> because my wife will do that. She'll say, I don't like the way you're talking. I said, I'm, why, why are you jumping off the subject? Now you're going to make it about me because you know what? You're afraid of, you know, I'm right, right? And she goes, oh, you want to be right or do you want to connect? That's my wife. Do you, want to, do you want to be right or do you want me on your team when we do this? Right. So those are, she's addressing my way of being. And my recommendation is, remember, there's the product and the process. And allow yourself to be corrected on either, you know, to, to, to be adjusted, if you will. If the outcome, if you and I are cooperating for an outcome and we're arguing because we both care about this, we're arguing over how it's going to be facilitated because we're both impacted by it. Mm -hmm. And by the way, when you argue, you usually argue because what you're arguing about is uncertain. It's in, you can't prove it. In fact, you, you have facts, but those facts can be construed multiple ways. And the most important issues in business often, more often than not, are those. The, mm -hmm. ones you, the ones you can prove, you don't argue about, right? So like, you know, two plus two is four. There's no need to argue, right? There they are, two plus two, that's four. I don't have to argue. If you want to argue, go ahead. That's not an argument I'm going to have, right? Right. It's not a healthy argument. But it's something that's uncertain, like a marketing plan, like a hiring, or somebody you're going to let go, if you can't really get it, then you're going to have to argue to come up with an agreement. And a good argument is always audience-based. So how do I relate to my audience? That's number one, because whether I have the best argument in the world, whether the content is true or not, if they don't get it, then it isn't true. Mm -hmm. In this, So think about that in business. If they don't get it, if your team doesn't get it, how often do you sit down and think about the audience you're going to, here's what a lot of guys will think, or gals will think, hey, CEOs, well, I'm I'm the CEO, I pay them, they're going to do what I tell them, that's why I hired them. Heard that one before. The, mm -hmm. And the, the other guys are over there, they're thinking, hey, I'm here to make a difference, I can't wait, I, my specialty, my expertise is going to make a difference in this company. But the, but if if the 
leaders thinking this, there's going to be a clash because they're going to want to contribute and they're going to want to manage you. They're going to want to teach you as well. They're going to want to lead you as well as the leader, right? A good leader knows when to follow, you know, and mm -hmm. that's a big deal, man. I think that's, that's probably to, to your question, back to your question. That's one of the biggest breakdowns. It starts with the imposter syndrome. And then we can't argue because the imposter could be wrong. And that would, in my mind, like leaders should never be wrong or leaders are always right. Or, mm -hmm. you know, I'm here. I'm the one who makes the decision. The buck stops here. Of course it does. So, if, but do you want to do it alone? <laughs> do you want a bunch of drones? Right. And, and a lot of, you know, to be fair with people, we don't think we're doing that. And, and I catch myself doing that all the time. I've got to, like, oh, that's not going to work, right? That's I worked right. with my wife for 40 years. So I think that's key. When you're working with a spouse, it's key to understand that, you know, while I might be a master at one thing, I'm not a master at everything. <laughs> and that's, that's why there's a team there. Mm -hmm. that. Wow. I mean, I, that that is such a, that is such a potent point right there. It's, yeah. One of the things I, I've been seeing a lot recently um, hiring executives to come into organizations is I have this philosophy, this belief, and it's just something that has stayed with me as a mantra that leaders create leaders, that just this philosophy that just circles oh, in my it. brain. I'm, can I write that? I'm still Please now. do. Leaders create leaders. I give you credit leaders. the first time, the second, third time. I'll take it's it. yours. Take it. Take it and run. I got it from somebody else. Let's be honest. So take it and run. Steal um, like an artist. Yeah, that's right. And uh and I've noticed this, this tendency of, and I think it's all of what you're talking about here as I'm kind of dissected in my own brain, but I'm seeing, you know, these incredible, impactful, transformational leaders want to come in and own, to your point, like, let's just use a, a CMO, the marketing function as an example. They have all these brilliant and bright ideas, and that's why we hired them in the first place, because we got I so know. excited about that energy. And they come in, and I get a call three months down the road that says, I don't think this place is for me. I'm like, oh, okay, tell me more. What's going on? Right. And we'll have a conversation. And often it's because they feel stifled or they don't feel like they're able to make a stand for what they believe in. And I have seen that in the last year, likely more than I've ever seen yeah. in the past. Maybe I'm open to it to see it. That's likely a big piece of it as well. But I'm curious, you know, when you think about these executives or CEOs, founders bringing in people to surround themselves with to enable that growth or to enable the vision of their stance, good. how That's do you good. help to integrate them? Because well, I, I sense that there's this dynamic well, man, happening right the, now. You're in the pain point. That's one of the main pain points. So I, I agree with you. It's crazy to see. But I think for me. When, and we work in the same field quite a bit. I mean, that's one of the reasons we like to refer you to our clients because A, we know they're going to be taken care of well and you've got a great background of experience you bring to the party. And I think that's what you're talking about there. If To answer the question, what I think about that, I would, there's a, there's a distinction that I work with when we bring somebody on and Adrian and I and the team are pretty grounded in. And that is, there are there are our our mission. There's our mission, and we're all committed to our mission. But everybody on our team is. We've done a lot of work to to we've done a lot of forensics to understand how your personal commitments, values, the things you care about in life, how are they served by serving this mission? 
Mm. Because why would we take you on a team just in our interest? That's never going to work. If you're going to be a powerhouse on our team, your interests have to line up with what we value. And you get that by lining up with that, you're served. And that's periodical. I do that. We do that with each other. We check in regularly. One of the agreements I have with Adrian and with Chad, because I've, I've blown a couple of companies up before, so I'm familiar. And how I blew them up was I've been the imposter. I've not been really clear about who's sitting at the table and how does their interests line up with the mission. Do they do they get serving the mission is going to serve them or do they think they're going to change the mission to serve them? That's a big deal. Yeah. So okay, if those that. things are lined up, because you can have really competent people, but they're not suitable because they don't really see, nor do they want to see, nor nor do we want to see how what they're committed to lines up with our mission. And that, that takes them some, some forensics, and we have multiple ways of getting to them in the interview process. But that's, I think, crucial to what you're talking about. I think mm -hmm. that that's, that's at the foundation of it. And that takes some patience and, and you guys i noticed you uh like you're talking about kelly over there you've been i've introduced you to her she's like that she's very clear about what they need and they she and how do we connect like how do you if you're coming to work for us jackie tell me how this works for you i want to know how's doing these things dedicating your life to these outcomes and these values and, you know all the things we're about how do they match up for you in your life. If you did that, what would you, who would you be that you aren't now? What would you have that you don't have now? Mm. Right. So if you, if we can get down in that, you're going to get excited. We're going to get excited. And now we have a context for argument where we can sharpen each other because the purpose of argument is to perfect or, you know, as much as possible reason. So if you bring your stuff to the party and I know you're committed to it and I see how it serves you and I bring mine, there's a mutual respect. Now we can throw the gloves off and have at it like it's a hockey game. And, and because we're fighting for the same thing because we both get that there's value in it for each of us. And mm -hmm. that facilitates alignment. So if you happen to bring a better argument than what I have, I'm going to, all right, you got it. I'm coming over there. I'm going to line up with you. Even though I don't necessarily agree with everything, I see it's better for the vision than what I was thinking. You know, and that's happened between Chad, Adrian, Eileen, myself, Mark, our other partner. We get into some really good arguments and we'll, they'll go on for days at a time. And then one of us or all of us will start to move because we see um, the nature of the argument is illuminating what's best for the mission. So... I, and I love this. I love this. Is that deeply. fair? Did it's that all fair because my, my brain then goes because I'm seeing this through the lens of my own experiences and my own team and also the team of the teams that I'm surrounded with a lot. What if we're not clear on what the mission is? Well, that's because we don't have a name. Like I'm seeing so many times, it almost feels like uh, so blindfolded and throwing darts. So how well, do we get clear on a mission? Well, you know, and maybe there need you know, there's a time like I'm working with my son and Carl right now. We're putting. A company together you got all this ai going on and we, we we i feel like i have a very big advantage with these two guys in the marketplace but wisely my son said look and so it's carl's on the same board is we we have an idea of what we want to do but is it really the biggest game we like if we're, we're going to take a huge cut we're not going to take a small cut it takes as much energy to accomplish a small cut as it does something audacious and 
valuable to the organ to the you know to the to what's wanted and needed out there in society and and there's a lot of there's a huge market of non-consumption in the ai space and that's a very different way to that's i don't know if you read clayton christensen but that's very different yeah, yeah. And so one of the things we're doing is are taking our time to decide exactly what we're going to do as far as we're going to start big and work back into the smaller product. Now we've got Maven coming out and that's it. it, it and we're, we're going to be experimenting with the AI and, and coaching and our coach, this Maven is so much more, we've tested it against everything that's out there and, and it's, we've got, it's much more robust. Every person that's done that has come written back to us. But, but the thing is, that's just a, an expression. And why we're doing that is we're going to get it out there and learn what is the market of non-consumption? What are the values we're going to learn about as people start using it? How will that impact the development of the product? And how will that impact the organization that we're developing and the marketing we'll be doing? So the key is to, to be able to live in the ambiguity and be aligned with let's make the the target as big as possible and chunk back and if and ironically or paradoxically we'll start with a small thing and see what it reveals about the market itself and that'll help us order the market so it's mm. that kind of thing yeah and it's it's a process of of discovering constantly looking for the feedback to be able to understand how to really direct the aim or continue to make the bullseye uh bigger your, smaller etc and to your point if you're going to do that, you've got to get the team on the same page, and that's right. for the team because they're they're they'll fade if you don't land on something. They're going to find something somewhere else. That's right. Yeah, I've seen controlled. that a lot because they're unclear yeah, so, about the direction in which we're heading. Even if it's not completely baked, they're still right. you know we're, we're wobbling on our direction. We're not clear on the direction and the aim that we're going and, after. And, and, and you know, I, I had a client. She's amazing. She broke the record on, on on Wall Street for roll-ups in a year. She bought wow. 63 companies. And she she what she did is she took a delivery package delivery company, bought a $3 million company, and sold it a few years later for $250 million. She rolled up all these companies. But one of the things she did I thought was amazing, I learned so much from her. She graduated uh, summa cum laude from Wharton. So she's just one of the sharpest people I know. I love her. She hired us to come in and do a lot of negotiations with her and stuff like that. But she's just amazing. And one of the things she would tell people is, look, we're managing chaos around here. And things change rapidly. Now, what's not changing is our aim to please the customer. That we can clear about. But how we get there can change week to, by week with weather, with what you know, with all these different circumstances. You've got to be on your toes. You better, you better enjoy the challenge of change. And if you don't, then this is probably not the place for you because we're not trying to make it predictable where we have confidence that no matter what happens, we're going to get the job done. I mean, she was so good at getting that into the fibers of the organization that the organization did great. And when they sold it, it ended up breaking up because the, the whoever the new company put in charge could not manage that. And I was talking to her about it. She goes, yeah, they, they, you know, the worst thing that happens to a company like that is they're now going to try, they think scaling is, locking down the process and then people That's become right. more dedicated to the process than they do to the customer or to the, the mission for the customer. And I love, I love even the, the intent around clarity that there's chaos here. 
right? Yeah. It's just speaking it and being clear that this is how we do things around here. And this, this is nature. If we, we want the that's chaos. Right. That's how we make good that's money. Right. That's right. We I charge love that. more for dealing with it. That's it. That's it. So we talked, you just, you just mentioned it. I want to make sure that people caught it. So one of the things that Dan and I have been talking a lot about and that he and his son and um, one of their business partner are creating is a AI technology called Maven. And I've had a chance to play around with this a little bit uh, just around Christmas time this year. And this to me is solving such a mass. I don't know if I'll call it an issue, but some of the feedback I've heard about the coaching industry is, you know, I get my coaching call once a week or I get access to my coach X amount of time. But when I'm having a triggered moment or I'm, you know, in the boardroom and need real time feedback, I don't, I can't just call that person because that person's off doing other things. So when I saw Maven, all of a sudden to me, I was like, holy, this is cool to watch AI come into the coaching industry disrupt it a little bit and solve a problem, which is having access real time to somebody or to feedback that can help me work through the issue at hand. So I'm curious about like, where did Maven come from the idea of it? And what are you seeing that AI could do for the coaching industry? Well, a couple of things. First, first question, Maven came out of my own need. So I sat down. I went to the I went to Tony Robbins Business Mastery, which I I I just want to tell you, if you've never done anything like that, I stayed away from his stuff because I thought it was too rah rah. And when I got in there and I learned what he was up to, I was amazed. And and it was one of the most powerful experiences I've had around business and transformation and business. But there, he had an AI expert come on and talk about it. And I went, yes. And and I know Tony's working on some stuff on it, but I have my own ideas about coaching. And so, plus I'm in the tech industry. I've been in it for a long time. And my son, and like that. And so the number one thing was, my son said, if you want to get into a, that product development with AI, you got to develop something you would use. And if you don't use it, don't try to sell it. Now, I use Maven literally almost every day. And I've been doing this for 40 years. And part of what I've realized, and we're watching the issues, not there's a big, what I would call, like the market of not, people aren't using it. They don't get it yet. I use it a lot. Even my own coaches are starting to use a little bit more and more. But I've got to actually show them because I don't see everything. And I get into situations where I want to be completely prepared for my client. So I already have a sense of what's coming and I, I can run it through Maven and she'll pick up stuff I never thought of. Now, I'm not talking about a chat GPT, you know, get on there. This is so much more uh, robust in, in a number of ways. One, it's we put it into your into your into the the app. And since you've used it, we, we don't have an app. We put it into your text on your phone. That's what I love so about it. I can text Maven. Yep, it's Maven. She's a she's a contact card. You drop it now. You can talk to her. You can send audio messages now, and she'll send back an audio message with a text, so you can follow it. We've edited. it. We have another bot. We so we use a number of bots. We use ChatGPT. We use a couple of others. My son built a portal, a gateway, where we can plug in all of the the large language models if we want, and we can put separate bots on different issues, which makes it more potent, much more potent that's out there. So once you get it, when ChatGPT does something with it, when it goes to, like you put an issue and it clarifies it, it goes through another bot that 
that has the voice and reasoning of Mark um, uh, and Andreessen, Mark Andreessen's mm-hmm. voice and his and logic, and it's really concise. So if you notice, you'll do chat GPT, you get these long wordy answers. This is just the heart of the issue. Bam, there it is. And then we've got a couple other things going on. We're getting ready to do some some more work on it. But that that enables me to use it, and it and it's done everything from right separation, you know, uh, letters where we're going to put somebody on a cap, or you know, we're going to help people get themselves up to what's next, and and they're either going to perform or they're going to perform their way out. I've it'll do that. It does everything you can think of, and the, particularly working with people as a coach. And it's designed to have difficult conversations, to be able yeah. to resource difficult conversations, to help you get a hold of yourself. So when you go in, you you're grounded and you're not reactive, and you can learn as well as open up new possibilities with whomever you're working with. So that's a that, big deal. It was, and huge. I think you know. One, it's you can just open your phone and get a hold of it. Mm-hmm. Two, you can you can it's you're alone. It's not biased. It's biased to what you say you want to produce. It's going to ask you what the first. It's trained to ask you what is it you want from this, and it's going to filter everything like that, and it's going to open up all the potentials it sees. Now, some of them are going to be ridiculous. You're not going to like them. The other ones, you're going to go, okay, that's interesting. And then you got to, you can ask it specific questions and it'll go deeper and deeper and deeper into it. And for me, that's been really phenomenal. I mean, it's made me some good money and I'm looking. For, so part of what I'm looking to do when you, when you go after a market of non-consumption, it means that the market, it's like, think of the iPhone. Smartphones have been around for five years and only had like 13% of the market. Steve Jobs saw that there was a market of non-consumption thanks to Clayton Christensen, who he often re- you know, refers to and, co- and looked to for coaching. And they realized that really, how do we get to this market of non-consumption? This is the question I'm in right now. Now, the iPhone, one of them, one, one is access, but the iPhone, did one of the things they did is they realized that the job to be done was how to use small snippets of time more effectively. So that job to get done is very different than going, oh, we want to go after iPhone users, who's our avatar, et cetera. No, they're looking for what job, when you do something, why do you hire that your smartphone? Why do you hire this or that? And they realize people, when they when they, ideas come up, they want something quickly, so they get on their phone, right? Or, and so he's now his competition isn't BlackBerry, it isn't Nokia, it's the television at the airport. It's the crossword puzzle. It's the magazine or the paper. It's what would people otherwise do? And that transformed the use of, of smartphones. And now, you know, now everybody's got a smartphone, right? right? But that so right now we are at a very early stage, and people don't know how valuable and useful AI can be to them, both personally and professionally. And we're looking to break that down. So that's that's what we're after. I love it. I was just actually um, going back through my text message with Maven and oh. just reminding myself on, you know what, even the questions that Maven asked me back to say, hey, anything you want to tweak, is this right? Am I getting this right? To make sure that it's, it's coming yeah. up with the best 
Solution. Action plan is is phenomenal. Yeah, it, and and now it, what it does is once it's designed, it's trained to first clarify the problem. Just like I do in a training room, I you'll see I'll spend a lot of time get really clear so you and I are on the same page before we go off. Now, the next thing it's going to do, and and this is what I've got to work into. This is where we've kind of, I think I need to be more explicit. It'll say, do you want to go deeper into the inquiry or do you want a game plan most people are going to want to go to the game plan but 87 percent of all breakdowns are cognitive according to all the studies i've looked at there are clinical studies that show that so it, when it says go deeper into it i go deeper usually go right deep, deeper into the inquiry even though i know the inquiry that's coming in, but i don't know the exact questions and it breaks my mind up around it and then when i get to the game plan i understand i, I have a different presence about doing the game plan Love that. because the thing that gets us in most trouble is the thing we think we know we don't question it she's designed to question it when she does you you got to go oh this is stupid i already know this mm -hmm. right? does that make yeah, sense totally. i haven't figured I out it. how to get the value of that in yet but we're working on it i so. love this i love this Dan, it's such a pleasure. Honestly, I'm I'm just so honored that you spent the time with us and uh, really dove into what's going on in the coaching industry. How do we start to look at teams differently and dynamically? And then sharing a little bit more about AI and the tech and what's going on in, in the industry in, in itself or what could be going on in the industry, which is exciting to see. Um, just beyond grateful that you spent some time with us today. People heard us talking about the Revenant process. People heard us talking about you coming in and working with leadership teams. If somebody is curious to learn more information or spend some time with you, what are the best ways to do that? You, you can uh, contact us through the website, which is uh, takenewground.com. Uh, you can contact me on Instagram or LinkedIn. And I'm easy. I'm on there all the time and I'll respond. Amazing. That's amazing. What we'll do is we'll link up everything in the show notes so you can get access to websites and Dan's information Podcast. Um, I forgot that too. The Naked Leadership we Podcast. Get, the Naked Leadership Podcast is one I listen to every week now. I'm going back into the archives and like just allowing myself to click on the titles and the topics so one that are little relevant. Small thing. We're looking at the software that we're working on that we're looking at is uh we're gonna load up all our all of our content and it it'll be able to search across the content and bring it to you when we get done. That's what I'm after because I look at those podcasts, there's all these episodes. How do I find this subject? And it'll search through that and bring it to you. So that's that's coming in the future. I want that too. Let me know when let me know when that's for sale. I'm, I'm, in. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Well, Dan, thank you. It's just such an honor, such a pleasure to have you here and truly somebody that I respect and honor as a coach. So thank you for sharing your time with us today. And if you're not already following following Dan and or take new ground, please do so. It's gonna just unlock the next level of transformation and leadership for you. Dan, Thank appreciate you. you so much. Thank you. You know, I love you. I love working with you and I look forward to all that we're going to do together in the future. Me too. Thank you so much. All Bless right, you. guys, we will see you again on the Jackie Service Show. Thank you for listening in to today's show. If there was a key message that landed with you, please share or send us a direct message on Instagram at Jackie Service and let us know. We love hearing from you. Also, to continue to keep this podcast growing, it would mean the world if you could take a minute and like and rate the show or share it with a friend. Our team is forever grateful. Until next time, we'll see you again on the Jackie Service Show.